<laughs> all right, so we gonna uh, we gonna do a show, or are we gonna just sit and shoot the breeze all night? Because I can do either, but I'd like to get something to eventually post. Come on, do something. Let's do a show. Is it wrong? I'm good. All right, typey McTypeitstein there. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm multitasking. Are you doing putting together a resume? What are you doing? Just watching porn. I don't type when I'm watching porn. You're either too close to your mic or your gain is really high. One of the two. Because oh, you keep peeking out. I mean, what? Well, he what? is he is old. He does peek. <laughs> I peeked long ago. Let's see. Just <laughs> <laughs> you said that. I peeked long ago. Good thing I wasn't drinking when you said that. I hate to have this Mountain Dew come out my nose. I <laughs> see, and and I would take that as a uh, as a real positive if I got it to come out of your nose. All right, I lowered my gain a little. How's it going now? You sound Scream. good. <laughs> oh, as good as I'm. Give us a la, la, la. Okay, that's good. Yeah, because it's not breaking up. All right, la, la, la. All right. La. Back to the bin. La, la. La, la, la. Okay. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spitaro, and I am joined once again by my buddies, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott H. Gardner. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's and good H- to be back. And H stands for, he's here. <laughs> here. <laughs> <laughs> the extent for here and no further. <laughs> and you're gonna make me choke. <clears throat> or just, just taking extra, a drink, just, I damn near spit it out of my monitor. Just an extra added bonus. What can I tell you? <laughs> so, any you guys got? Any? Well, thanks, no. thanks everybody. Have a good night. Email. We have a um, bin of email that's overflowing. And we're going to do our best to get through it all tonight. But before we get to that, now everybody knows that I've been asking for email since I've been on the show, which is about two years now. But recently I started asking for iTunes reviews. And I wanted to mention that we got an iTunes review from our friend Russell Bragg. And it's a, a review specifically to the Back to the Bins uh, post in, in iTunes. And he gave us five stars. The title of the review is Great With and Without Scott Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote, if you like discussions on a variety of comics, go to Back to the Bins. They examine comic books from DC, Marvel, and the Independents. Dr. Bill Robinson and Paul Spataro are good at synopsizing and storytelling, and when Scott Gardner is able to join them, the fun is off the charts. They may not always choose Aww. a comic they care about, but the discussion always keeps me interested and entertained. I'd give it <laughs> A++++ added to my five-star rating. Thank you very much, Russell. I really appreciate that. And yes. you know, hopefully reviews like that will 
you know, get other people listening to us because that's, you know, as much as we enjoy doing it, we enjoy doing it even more if we know people are listening and getting a kick out of it. So thank you very, very much. Yes, that's, thank you. That's that's very flattering. I appreciate that. Yeah, but he you, didn't reference my singing. <laughs> well, the only reference to your singing so far, I think, uh, hasn't really been that positive. I mean, but oh, no, that's that's I, just that's just Jason Trenner. Yeah, well, that's the only. I, <laughs> he's the only. Can one I take com- a moment? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said Jason's the only one who's ever commented on the singing that I'm aware of. So, <laughs> well, what do you what do you want? I take a moment just to just to tangent us briefly here at the beginning because he he brings up something that uh you know i i haven't been here to bring this up so <clears throat> while i'm thinking about it, it might be a great time but like i say i don't want to tangent us greatly but uh i know bill and i briefly discussed this recently and i hadn't had time to talk to you about it paul and i thought well maybe we could talk about it here where the the listeners might have a little bit of input and a little bit of say, because as, as Unless, of course, Russell points out, in which case I will edit this out. <laughs> never know. Go ahead. Well, you know, Russell brings up the point that, you know, the show for, you know, quite some time now has been about, uh, you know, Marvel DC and an independent. And I don't know if it's apparent or not to the listeners, but I, I think you guys would both agree that, we have often struggled with the independent portion of the show, correct? Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So I had this idea a while back because, believe it or not, it may not <laughs> be readily apparent, but I'm always thinking about the shows that I'm on and, you know, what can we do to make them better? What can we do to improve? You know, what can we, you know, cut out? What can we add to? That sort of thing. You know, just always thinking. And something occurred to me a while ago, and I, an idea of, you know, I always like the classic, what I consider the classic format of Back to the Bins. Because let's face it, the show's mutated a bit over the years. But to me, the classic idea of, of Back to the Bins was you randomly would choose your comic, you know. So we, we would randomly choose a Marvel. We would randomly choose a DC and back when it was just a two-man operation, it was, you know, you had a Marvel, you had a DC, that was it, go. And we might occasionally throw in an indie, but it was pretty much a Marvel and DC show. And then I got this idea, you know, we, we have the three-man operation now. And I know, Paul, you know, I know that you're very fond of pulling a favorite out of your collection as opposed to just some random thing that you've never read before. And I like that because, you know, you, you have a passion for the books that you do. So I had this idea of what if we did a Marvel, a DC, maybe the occasional independent, but pretty much just become DC Marvel centric. And the third spot is actually a classic book, like what you consider to be a classic book, something you've actually read, loved. And at first, anyway, I'd actually like to concentrate somewhat on books that are actually considered to be classic books, like classic storylines or a classic one issue, you know, type of deal. And of course that would also revolve. So, you know, one time, you know, it'd be your turn to bring the classic the next time it's bills, the next time it's mine, that sort of thing. And kind of replace indie with, you know, a quote unquote classic. What do you think of that idea? And I'm, I'm very curious what you think, but also what the listeners might think of that idea. Hmm. I'm, if you can't tell, I hadn't even thought about this, so this is the first I'm hearing of it. Uh, 
I, I think it's pretty interesting. I, I kind of like your idea of keeping it as a floating thing, though, so we could still do the indie once in a while, but if we're struggling with an right. indie, you can go to something else. Almost like a dealer's choice for the third spot. Yeah, and, exa- and I, yeah exactly. You know, Marvel exactly. or DC, and then whatever the third person picks, whether it's an indie, a Marvel, a DC, a classic, whatever. I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. I have no problem with that at all. And it could, could make for some interesting book choices, I think. Yeah, because I know personally, I, I just I feel like I really struggle with that independent thing. And like I say, you know, we we all agree that we all have. And I've noticed that a lot of times the independent section becomes, you know, the movie tie-in slash spin-off of the month. You know, to where it's, you know, it's something related to you know some some movie thing. You know, whether it's aliens or whatever, and I don't think that that was necessarily the intent with that. It's just that none of us are really indie guys, and uh, you know, I, I worry that when it is, as Russell points out, you know, something you may not care about. Well, is that because it's an indie or or what? Because generally, I would imagine that if it's a DC or Marvel. Even if it's not necessarily something you've ever read or something, you know, a character you necessarily care about, if it's in that universe and you're a comic book guy, you're probably interested. Like, say, Man Thing for me. I could give a rat's ass about Man Thing, yet I found that episode really interesting because, well, he lives in the Marvel Universe and has interactions with those characters. So it means something to me as opposed to some, you know, random issue of, you know, Captain Canuck that, frankly, I could give a rat's ass about. Mm. So. This, so this is all about getting out of the Captain Canuck thing. That's what it's yeah, yeah, yeah. We <laughs> let you out of Captain Canuck. Give it up already, all right? The, on, right? the only thing about it, though, is I wouldn't want to totally eliminate the independent, which you're not asking to do anyway, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Because uh, every once in a while I come across one that I enjoyed. I enjoyed a couple of weeks back when the Bill brute. and I did The Brute. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yes. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to totally eliminate that. I, I, I had fun with that one. I think Bill had fun, too. And On that subject, I noticed one thing, though, that you, you failed to do in that episode was give a visual of the character because I had no idea who you were talking about. And with a description, I, I may have been able to piece it together, but as it was, I was lost. So I had the synopsis and everything to, to go along with. But I had to draw my own mental image of the character and have no idea if it matches. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? You're you're absolutely right. I didn't give a physical description of what he looked like. I gave a description of his size, but Mm -hmm. yeah, he said he was kind of like a Neanderthal-looking guy. He was fighting the uh, woolly mammoths. And I do remember mentioning that he was wearing a green vest at the end. Uh, But I, but yeah, I don't think I actually gave a description of you know his hair and his face and his body type all that much. So yeah, you got a good point there. Not a serious criticism. It's just something that occurred to me that I I wonder if we do that enough. You know, when we pick some random character or some random book that Mm. is kind of off the beaten path, do we do a a good enough job of giving a, a, a mental image to the listeners so that? even if it's something they're unfamiliar with, that they still might know, oh, okay, now I know who they're talking about. I remember seeing a guy that looked like that. Or, you know, or you know if, what I mean? Even if they don't, just to give them a mental image just the same. Now, I think with Goom, I gave a description <laughs> of Goom, and I think I did create a mental image of him to some extent. But with, right. with the Brood, I think you're right. And, and you know what? I can appreciate criticism just as much as I can appreciate compliments. That's something to keep in mind and to work on. So, yeah. That's a good point. Cool. Well, I've derailed this enough. Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. 
Let's get this train back on the track. All right, we get, let's let's get let's get into our first email message, which is also from Russell. So, you want me to take the first one, or is one of you guys gonna is one of you guys gonna do it? I thought you were taking the third one. Yeah, that's right. I got the third one. So first, I'll do it. Okay. It says hello, Paul. Hello, Doctor Doug, or I mean Doctor Bill. It says I guess I found out which show my quote unquote first. Uh, I guess I found out which show. Yeah, I did read that right. I guess I found out which show my quote-unquote first email went. So sorry I jumped the gun. Anyway, another stellar episode. I am glad that you two uh, keep the show going, even when Scott is AWOL. Yes. On that subject, I'm going to step out of Russell's letter just briefly. Just I, I just want to address this because this is kind of that elephant in the room kind of thing. I don't miss episodes. <laughs> <laughs> It's an it's elephant. No, never mind. Um, oh, is that what that was? I didn't know. I thought it was a car crashing. <laughs> um, I, I only miss episodes because of work related, you know, just schedule conflicts. So I, I just want to clear that up. Make that. And you ready. are the hardest, hardest working man in podcasting. It's only, yeah, right. it, it's only work, fun, and laziness. Outside of that, he's always here. There you go. That's pretty much it. Scott just posted 276 pictures <laughs> to Facebook. <laughs> All right, you smart asses. All right, back into this letter. It says, I wanted to apologize to Dr. Bill for not mentioning his cat in my email. Since my wife and I have four cats and love them all to pieces. Cats can be costly, especially as they grow older, but we love them just the same, don't we? Yes, we do. Aww. It says, on to the comics. Paul had the Marvel. He had Omega, the unknown number one. He says, I've never heard of. Uh, so I was learning from your reading and synopsis. Don't think I have anything to say about it, except that he does have a neat costume. Which makes me think maybe I did a good job of describing his costume. I wish I'd been on that episode, only because, not that I have any great affinity for Omega, the unknown, but only because I did actually have a story involving Omega, the unknown. But, oh well. He says, uh, I guess you're Dr. saving Bill, it for another day. <laughs> Well, I mean, I can throw it out there real quick. It's just, you know, again, when I was first getting into comics as a, as a kid and we moved to the area where I lived for most of my teen years, which was, uh, you know, the, the Black River area um, in upstate New York, that we have done many a podcast about, the, uh, the hijinks and such. There was a, a local library there, you know, just a little, you know, hole in the wall place that had you know a handful of books and such but back then they had comics and i know that's the first time i ever laid eyes on like tuma dracula and, and certain titles that you know they had they didn't have like any of the popular stuff they didn't have like spider-man or hulk or cap or superman they had like all the kind of you know the weirder stuff and that's where i saw omega the other i have no idea what issue it was but i saw it and thought hey this guy's got a really cool costume he looks a little bit like superman and I remember thumbing through it and being just like completely lost, having no idea what was going on, what was his powers, what the story was, anything like that. But for that reason alone, just that, you know, he was one of the first like non, you know, big guy Marvel comics I ever saw. I always just kind of had a, a soft spot for him, if that makes any kind of sense at all. Anyway. Continuing on here, he says, Dr. Bill, and Bill had the DC. It was Superman number 331. He says, this comic is in my collection. So I had a better time with this one. He says, what a way for Superman to start out a comic book. 
battling one of his more deadly villains, Harvey Corman, or <laughs> Roger <laughs> Corman. I mean, Roger Corbin, a.k.a. Metallo. I've always enjoyed this show and the conclusion uh, in number three, th- or excuse me, the story rather, in the conclusion in number 332. That has a great cover. Lots of action, lots of suspense, and in the end, Lana gets put in her place. It's a good read. Guess that's all for now. If you guys take requests on comics to read for future shows, I can come up with some for you. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot of uh, a lot on your docket now, so I'll save my request for later. Great show. Keep up the great work. And that's, again, from Russell Bragg in Clarksburg, West Virginia. What I'll say on the end of Russell's letter is, I am always happy to hear about requests, but I will not make promises that I'm going to cover them just because I kind of have to have an affinity for the book myself or I have to look at it and kind of feel something about it or or I, I think I'm wasting the listener's time if I don't have something, you know, something to add about it. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing suggestions. I'm willing to take a look, but I can't promise you I'm going to do them. See, my first inclination is, you know, when I read that was to be like, yeah, absolutely, send in suggestions. But then when I think about it, we have done that before, you know, taking suggestions, or at least I have, because uh, a while back, Jason Trenner kept uh, telling me about, I can't even remember what the name of it was. Was it the DC DC? Dream War? Yeah, that was a Dream War. It was, I was going to say it was a crossover with uh, whoever the hell it was, Wildstorm. Uh, Wildstorm and uh, the Justice League. And I'm very sorry, Jason, if you're listening. I, I did read the thing, and then so much time lapsed between the time I read it and the time I meant to talk about it on the show that I just sound like an idiot trying to talk about it now because I really don't remember it. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, I really didn't like it. And the only reason I didn't like it is this is a huge spoiler. So if you don't want to be spoiled on Dream War, fast forward about a, you know thirty seconds. But um, it's not real. It's it's not a real story in the sense that it all takes place in the mind of this kid that's dreaming about it. And so there's a great sequence where Batman gets in this fight and again, spoiler, gets killed. And I was like, damn, that's really cool because the art's fantastic. The fight was really awesome and everything. But at the end of it, none of it's relevant to either universe or anything because, again, it's it's all a dream story. And I'm not fond of those type of stories, as you may have heard in the uh, Arkham Asylum review I did a while back. So, you know, I don't want to just sit and bust on something that somebody recommended to me. So I just kept quiet about it. But, yeah, great art, but lousy story. Sorry. Yeah, I know. Well, two things I just want to say. Uh, my Alvin is fine. We haven't had any relapses. No, no more cat animals were needed. Thank God. <laughs> and uh, Scott, what did you think of? Um, do you are you familiar with the episode we covered with the uh, with the jailer? I listened to every episode. Yes. Well, um, no, I mean, were you familiar with that particular comic? Because I, I was I, um, I, I was curious as to whether or not you you had actually read that one. Or, I'm not or, sure or, if that's uh, one that's in my collection or not. To be honest with you, but I I must have read it at some point because I was familiar with the story and what was going on. But uh, I actually like the Master Jailer quite a bit. I actually I, I forget who it was. I think maybe Paul was kind of ribbing on his his outfit and his look and everything. But I actually kind of liked him. Um, 
but yeah, unfortunately, he never really amounted to very much, which was a shame because no. I thought he was kind of a neat, in, you know, he's an interesting idea. He's kind of like Houdini in reverse, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the, about the only other thing I really know about that character is that he was brought back post uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. You know, he was a, a reimagined, like many of the you know characters were after the Crisis. But was he, I, was I, he I less think- goofy looking? I think so. I can't remember what his look was, honestly, but I, I don't think he amounted to much of anything either. But, uh, but yeah, I just I always had a soft spot for him because he was in, I want to say it was, I think it was Superman Family where he fought Supergirl, and there was a story yes. in there that I really liked. And I think that was my first introduction to that character. So in my mind, he was always more of a Super, uh, Supergirl villain than a Superman villain, only because that was my first exposure to him, but... Well, yeah, tracing him through Mike's Amazing World, he uh, of comics, he was only in less than half a dozen to maybe ten comics. Yeah, it was really all he was ever in. But see, you know, in that period when I was getting into comics, a lot of uh, it seemed like you know a number of the characters, especially like say Superman and Batman, that there was a conscious effort to try to introduce new villains. And so I've always had a fondness for obscure DC villains just because there were so many of them that were just kind of, you know, thrown against the wall to see if they would stick. And some of them, you know, did and some of them didn't. But, you know, I like that kind of thing. So I like him and I like, you know, like Black Mask, which I was reading. I guess he's going to be the big guy in the new video game that's coming out and stuff like that. So, Mm. yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, you, you love your classics, you know, like your Joker and your Luthor, but you get tired of those guys after a while. So it was nice to see, you know, some, you know, some new blood come out, you know, whether they actually <laughs> amounted to anything or not. Mr. Luthor. <laughs> exactly. All right. Are we ready for the next one? Yes. I guess that'll be me. And this comes from Jason Sandberg. And it says, Dear Paul, Scott, Mike and Mr. Bailey. It was a crazy week at work, and Bill Schwarzenegger rips in episode 122 had me cracking up. The laughs were much needed. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. My main reason for writing was to show appreciation for the accidental Kirby-themed episode 120. Both the Commandy and the Cap issues were favorites of mine. I still find the Commandy story haunting. The idea has been kicked around that Superman will outlive his contemporaries, that he will remain vibrant while Lois Lane ages and passes on. Aww. Kirby gives us a punch in the gut by posting the idea that Superman would outlive civilization and then move on to another planet. There has been a lot of joking on the show about Scott's dereliction of duty. Uh, I mean, absence. (laughs) Perhaps he should be made to do penance by having to record commentary tracks to all the back to the bins he's missed. Just a crackpot idea. Thanks for the fun listen, Jason Sandberg. I don't think that's a crackbrook idea at all. You know what's funny is that I actually considered doing that very thing because uh, as I, I'm sure I mentioned this off the air and not on a show, but uh, seriously, I, I, I asked Paul at one point, are you guys purposely choosing the books that you're choosing to needle me when I'm not there? Because it seems like they always end up picking something, at least one book, that I'm like, damn it! I, you know, I wish I'd been on that episode because, again, you know, they mentioned, you know, in this episode it was the the all uh, Kirby episode. I have that issue of Commandy. I used to have a complete run of Commandy, read it once, 
and then you got to forgive me. This is when I was a kid. Didn't think much of Jack Kirby at all. Sold it except for issue one because I always liked the cover because it was a riff on Planet of the Apes, and this issue, which was what, what issue was that? Twenty nine. Is that right? Oh, that sounds uh, right. Yeah. The the issue where they find Superman's costume because again it's Superman. I was going to keep that. I sold all the rest. And I've regretted it to this very day because trying to put together a co- complete collection of Commandy today costs you a big bucks. Yeah, so. Yeah, so I always had a uh, soft spot for that. Plus, it's a damn good story. I always liked that one a lot. But you know what? Yeah, you guys do that to me every time. You guys don't ever do like, (laughs) all right, Scott's not here. We're going to cover, you know, two issues of crap, man. You know, it's always something I really wish I had been there for. So that's I'm I'm thinking higher. Yeah, I'm thinking if we do shows that make you wish you were there, then we're doing our job. (laughs) Because what's 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 the point of doing shows that make you think, okay, I can miss this episode? That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, because I'd rather I'd rather it be something that I feel that way about rather than go, well, that show went to hell when I left. Got out of that one about. just in time. Yep, there you go. Well, I dodged that bullet. All right, let's no, keep I, if I haven't on. said it oh, enough, sorry. no, no, no. Before you move on, but if, if I haven't said it enough, I think you guys do a fantastic job. If I if I didn't, you know, I mean, do you, do you get? I mean, be honest. Don't don't use this moment for comedy value. Uh, be honest. Have you gotten any letters from me going, man? You guys, you know, need to get it together. Any? No, no, right? Because well, I do. There was I the time when every... I when I stuck the back to the bins, uh, the uh, the oh, excuse well, me, the yes, Big Bang Theory true. clip in there. That, that's true. <laughs> that, all right, I take it. I take it all back. You guys suck without me. I'm glad I'm here for this one. <laughs> uh, that was yeah. That was fun when we had that little discourse on uh, uh, <laughs> on that. <laughs> Uh, but you you did uh, nip in the bud my uh, desire to start the Big Bang Theory podcast on the Two True Freaks Network. <laughs> oh, good lord. <laughs> We're going over the episodes one by one and picking out the moments that will offend Scott. <laughs> and then do a commentary on the entire episode. All right. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I've gotten the impression that you've been very happy with what we've done uh, You know, when, when you've been on the show and when you haven't, so... That makes me feel good. Absolutely. So we can keep doing the show, right, boss? For now. (laughs) (laughs) On to the next email. We're back to Russell Bragg again. And the subject is Back to the Boons 123. Hi, I'm Goom. (laughs) Hi, guys. Great and funny episode. I enjoyed each story you guys talked about. I also enjoyed... I, guess I, I assume there's a typo here. I also enjoyed the comic book voices you created for each story read. I couldn't visualize the characters you were discussing except for Man-Thing. Okay, that goes to your criticism, Scott. If we didn't, then maybe we didn't do a good enough job of describing them. <laughs> My first study or reading of any sort concerning Man-Thing came through listening to an episode of Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, episode number 57, which is a really good podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew absolutely absolutely nothing about the character other than he existed. Other than that he existed. As I listened to the episode, I grew to feel sorry for him. Since Man-Thing couldn't emote verbally, he was attacked all the time. And then he'd forget everything that just happened. It's very sad. I like the other characters, too. I just don't know anything about them. Kind of sad how the Invisible Man ended up. Quite different from the classic Invisible Man story written by H.G. Wells, who was killed in the end. 
but I loved Goom. I looked up his picture, and you sure didn't exaggerate with your description of him. See? So I did describe him. I would be interested in exploring Son of Goom. <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as would I. <laughs> I, I. If I find that story somewhere, I will, uh, I, I will do it in one episode. You guys... Hey. Have you seen my dad? <laughs> yeah, he's around the corner. <laughs> it's just a picture of all the goom. Well, actually, the, the other goom guys kind of had the... Uh, yeah, the other goom. Yeah. <laughs> he's around the corner. You might want to go look over there. Uh, you guys were talking about smoking somewhere during the episode. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I'm an avid listener of old-time radio programs. I remember listening to a program where a doctor went to his office after an operation and he lit up a cigarette. Mind you, this took place in a hospital. I'm pretty sure you couldn't get away with that today. It just seemed a natural thing to do back then. Guess I'd better Dude, end. Go ahead. I, I have been watching. because <laughs> Somehow or other, we got to talking about this on one of the shows. I have been watching Match Game on Game Show Network, and I'm addicted to I mean, I've always loved the show anyway, but I mean, I've been watching it absolutely religiously. I don't miss an episode. It's hilarious. And it's hilarious, but what's really funny is to watch the celebrity panel. Everybody's smoking. Richard Doss is up there smoking. Yes, all the time. It's hysterical. I mean... When you haven't seen something like that in so many years, and the, and the version I'm watching right now is when it came back, when it was Match Game 76. So, you know, that's what, 27 years ago? Or no, 37, right? I don't know, 27, 36. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. 37. And wow, I mean, just to realize, consciously see how different the world was back then and it just cracks me up absolutely cracks me up that's but. what i enjoy about the tv show mad men it's, mm-hmm. it's 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 all totally in that era they were all constantly lighting up cigarettes they're sitting there having you know their breakfast coffee and smoking a cigarette and it's it's just fun to watch but uh yeah i'm pretty, I'm pretty that sure that uh charles nelson and riley smoked virginia slims yeah <laughs> just saying <laughs> but i mean i've heard mad men criticized for the amount of smoking and drinking on that show like it's not realistic and no i assure you it's completely realistic that's what people were like back then it, I, I get a kick out of it especially in that business Mm-hmm. Uh, so i don't know if i said uh the last line was guess i'd better end for now keep up the great work russell bragg clarksburg west virginia p.s I was wondering if the Two True Freaks Network was considering Stitcher to help get their episodes to the world. If you don't know what Stitcher is, it's an on-demand internet radio service that focuses on news and information, radio and podcasts. It provides free online streaming through the website and also using native mobile applications such as the iPhone, Android, BlackBerry, and Palm WebOS. Just wondering. Uh, I don't want to speak for everybody else, but I think right now we're pretty happy with what we have set up at the twotruefreaks.com and what, what you can get on iTunes. So I don't know that we wouldn't be interested in this, but I don't know that we are either. Would that be... Somebody, uh, somebody, and it was probably Russell, and I forgive me, Russell, I, I just don't remember who it was. But somebody posted that very question on Facebook. Uh, not long. How old is this email? Let's see. October. Well, this is October nineteenth. So this was even longer ago than that. 
Somebody posted the, that very question. You know, are you guys going to get on Stitcher? And jokingly, I just said, you know, what the hell is Stitcher? I honestly had no idea what it was. And as it turned out, neither did Chris Honeywell. So we we talked about it, but it was one of those like, you know, something shiny moments and then instantly forgot about it. I'm going to get with him again and we're really going to check into it and see, is this something that we need to, you know, is this the next big thing and we need to be on board? So I think you need to talk to Andy because I believe he and Steven on the fantastic cast. I remember them mentioning Stitcher, I think at the end of some of their shows, Mm. but I have no idea how Stitcher works. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't. All either. I know is I put them on the website and they go out. <laughs> That's all I know, and I didn't. Had nothing I mean, to do with and, setting and, it and up. It, and it may be just something that maybe Mike Voiles knows how to set that up. Maybe he's, you know, maybe it's just another little line of code, and it'll just automatically go to Stitcher. I don't think it'll go with that sound effect, though. You know. Uh, well, then I don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm only going to do it if every episode comes with that. <laughs> another two two freaks. <laughs> another one. All right. Yeah, and with that, how often episodes get put up on the Two True Freaks Network? You'd be constantly hearing that. I'm I'm amazed at the amount of content that's going up. No, sorry. I'm so I'm so juvenile. Sorry. Hopefully, people are keeping up with it all because there's a ton of content and most of it's really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And on all to right. the next Who, letter. Who's got the next one? That would be you. Uh, you. Okay. So the subject on this one is what's Klingon for not spam. Back to the bins. Giant size man thing. He says, hey guys, this is from Jason Trenner. He says, hey guys, listen to the giant sized man thing episode and it was interesting. Very interesting. He says, weirdly, another glob fought Hulk and man thing in a fill-in issue of the Hulk during Peter David's run on the book. An issue Peter David uh, didn't write uh, but was still on Pad Smash. Hmm. Okay, they were just probably trying to be uh, authoritative and cover that whole era, I would imagine. Since I am surprised none of you made reference to the fact that the head of the Secret Empire was supposed to be Nixon, uh, and he should have shot himself in front of Cap instead of dying encased in clay. You know, I thought we mentioned it. I think we may have mentioned it in the episode that did not get recorded. <laughs> so it just didn't get mentioned the second time around because that was the that was our yeah, first experience with having to record an episode twice. That reminds me, you know what? I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I had meant to say was that I got the feeling somewhere during the course of the episode that it was a re-record because you guys kept saying something like last time. I think that's how you kept wording it was, well, last time we talked about this, I'm thinking, what the hell are they talking about? But I don't think you ever specifically mentioned, I'm oh, by the way, we're re- kind of. Did you? Yeah. I thought like, we did we early on. Like one, okay, yeah, maybe one, I just missed it then. Yeah, that we had goofed and none of us said that we'd lost. Uh, okay. I mean, we didn't do a big long. We just said, yeah, this is our, I think this is our, our second two. time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. But I think you did, though. I, I'm going to disagree with Jason here. I think you did mention the thing about Nixon, because I, I remember... Well, our joke was that the guy looked like Nixon. Right. Yeah, not I don't know if we wasn't. mentioned him from the Cap episode, or from the Cap issue. Yeah, I'm not I, sure I don't if it... I know we talked about it at some point, but it may have been in the episode that didn't get recorded. Mm, yeah. Okay. And and when we did the the Cap one with the Secret Empire, I don't think we mentioned that Nixon was the head. I think we were because we didn't want to spoil it. Did so we, I don't remember. We did the Capitol Secret, Secret Empire? 
Well, that was the 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 one with the Kirby. It was no, that no, was no, no, up no, to no, it. no, no, no. Different episode, different uh, issue. The Cap in the oh, Secret yeah. Empire was actually about fifteen issues before the Kirby right. issue. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought it came. Yeah, it was in the in the oh, Steve okay. Englehart run. Yeah. Sorry. It was like, uh, Jason concludes. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, I believe it was issue 175 of Cap, and the issue that we covered was 193. Okay. Right. So Mad Bomb is after Secret Empire. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I can never keep all that straight. That's uh, Jason concludes. He says, the rest were standard late 50s to early 60s Marvel stuff. I enjoyed hearing about them and worth mentioning in the show. See you guys next time. Next time on Back to the Bins. <laughs> we should do that if we knew what the hell we were talking about next time. Yeah, but we Which don't. we never do. <laughs> <laughs> we often don't know when we start recording. Exactly. <laughs> I, love the, I love the subject of the next one, by the way. Which bill? Whoever's, whoever's got it. Which I, it I is. Mean, I do it if you want because it's, nah, it's the one from I Jay. got it. All right. Which uh, we have another one from Jason Trenner, and our subject is chicks dig giant robots. They don't get backed up cats. They don't dig. Oh, they sorry. They don't dig back up backed up cats. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, that was awesome. You talking about the backed up cat, and glad to hear since that the cat is doing well. Meow. <laughs> on Come the- on. <laughs> Change my little box. <laughs> Feed me. What's wrong with you? <laughs> On head for the crapper. <laughs> I can't do Arnold. Head for the crapper. You know what? Neither can I. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> on to the on to the X Men and into the era where Chris Claremont pretty much grabbed any and everything he could. Grabbed anything and anything, <laughs> everything he could for the book. As the as the brood are the xenomorphs, I don't have this issue, but I have later issues in the saga due to some X Men classics reprints. The whole story arc was an interesting one, and makes the gathering of the new mutants really creepy. Yeah, because uh, you guys remember that that actually the brood controlled Professor X gathered the new mutants to use them as um, new new brood. Uh, they they were going to be the the next crop of uh, super broods or whatever. He was going to implant eggs in them. I didn't know that. Yeah. You you remember that, Scott? Do we lose Scott? Cricket sound effect. Sorry, Scott was muted. <laughs> <laughs> Do I remember what? I'm sorry. Uh, the beginning of the New Mutants was actually, they were formed by Professor X to because he was being controlled by, by a brood. And he was going to implant them with eggs. I, uh, I kind of not, not 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 the graphic novel, because I believe the graphic novel came first. Yes, it did. But I I thought he I thought but it was in that in because that, the X Men were considered to be dead at that time. But there was it was in those early at least the first ten issues that it was also discovered that the professor was being had a brood egg in him. I think it's not too long after that issue we did, issue 162, that they realized that the professor was implanted as well and they had to get back to the Earth. That kind of rings a bell, but honestly, it's been so long since I've read that stuff. But Mm. I I feel awful that I forgot because I was a big fan of those. About the first dozen issues of New Mutants, I think, are awesome because Bob McCloud's art on that was fantastic. Mm -hmm. McCloud! (laughs) 
But uh, honestly, I, I really thought that they were formed because weren't like the X Men went off into space for something. Well, yeah, and it was while they were in space with the Star Jammers. Um, I think they were putting Lalandra back in power. Yeah. And but, that's that's when they they got implanted with the eggs. But I think Xavier was back on Earth, and he had an egg in him too. And that there was it was kind of retconned a couple issues in, if I remember correctly. Um, that that's why he formed the team was to create a new breed of broods. I gotcha. I'm, so maybe bo- maybe both of them are correct. He formed the team because the X Men were considered dead, and then. The writer yeah. switched gears and thought, "Well, no, he did that really to implant them." Yeah, maybe I don't. I really don't remember. I'm surprised Paul hasn't popped up with the answer by now. Usually, he's Johnny on the spot. You know, <laughs> actually, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of fell into a coma while you guys were talking. <laughs> I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die bit of coma right now. I don't know. <laughs> Too much sweet stuff. I gotta, I gotta see Stan in a while from dialysis. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Jason continues. Great issue to talk about, and I got no problem if you, if you pull out of the bins more X books. As for the brute, at least he didn't try eating people on top of throwing them into walls to kill them. <laughs> well, I don't know. Did he try to eat anybody? Not that I saw. But He's that doesn't mean that it didn't happen when we, when we weren't looking. Yeah, well, you know, he he needed an in-flight meal for a flight 5H. <laughs> what was it, 5H17? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Great episode oh, and can't wait to see... <laughs> Great episode and can't wait to see what else you, you pull out of the back issue bins. Jason Trenner. And let's just keep moving on to the next Jason Trenner email. Which is no more Monty Python references. Back to the bins, 122. But of course, there will be a Monty Python reference right now. Message for you, sir. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go again, guys, as I've been pumping out these emails, and we're reading them that way. <laughs> Omega the Unknown, or as I put it, yet another pile of crazy from Steve Gerber who was a master at that, with robot parents, living with a nurse, a superhero that no one is sure what to do with him. Next, we have Superman 331, Superman versus a Metallo Roger Corman. (laughs) That would be an interesting fight. Anyway, it seems pre-crisis Metallo was very willing to try anything to power his robot body. Uranium, solar panels, kryptonite, and more, it seems. Good luck on the new... <laughs> you my my scooter. <laughs> scooter, stop it! Get back. <laughs> Good luck on the new prison. Working any better to hold your foes in, soups? Even exiling them to another planet doesn't hold them for that long. Not even the Phantom Zone can keep them away. Though the Phantom Zone probably would be less of a pain in the ass to deal with than associate producer who puts the well yeah in the first word of that and dealing with two women who still want Superman and will crush all to get him. How Superman put up with that crap, I have no idea. (laughs) Got to say, Superman making the prison into a flying island is cool, but it has one problem. Well, if Brainiac was put in there, it'd be a flying fortress spaceship in a minute. Oh, and the warden 
Warden feels jilted by Lana Lang and becomes a supervillain to get her attention. Clearly, he doesn't know how batshit crazy Lana Lang was in the Silver Age, or that she'll get the attention of Super Sean Connery. Um, okay. Oh, that's uh, Zarda. Vartox. Vartox. Botox? <laughs> <laughs> Which is still better than Lois being knocked up by Popeye or Captain <laughs> Strong. <laughs> Wow, that's that's going way back, that reverence. Well, he says that's not a joke. It's something that actually happens to her in the late Bronze Age. <laughs> and Superman seems to keep attracting people who knew him in Smallville and go crazy and with some sort of superpowers that has to be annoying after a while. Frankly, got to wonder about the bad guys, given he just put into a cell a guy who is best friends with Batman. I'm sure Bruce has shown Clark a few ways to get in and out of the jail cell, and the Dark Knight probably also being the guy giving Superman help, even if he did manage to escape with Lana Lang. Okay. And sounds like the bad guy got weird, and that's why he got dumped into obscurity. It happens to a lot of characters. Nice The Rock reference. And I agree on the topic of covers. I do wish covers would go back to being something more than a pinup of the team or main character, that what it showed was more dynamic and tried to make you interested in the story inside. And yet, how did that prison warden get a robot double? Well, that was interesting. I looked forward to seeing what else you guys review. What was the rock reference? Did we do the Sean Connery I don't rock, remember. or did we do uh, I don't, I don't the Dwayne Dots and the rock? No, I think it was. You know, if we did the Rock, it was probably Sean Connery. But I don't. I, the rock. I have no specific memory of, you know. Spataro, Spataro. Sometimes this is so much stream of consciousness that even with editing it, I forget what we say after a little while. So, thank you, Jason, for the plethora of emails. And back to you, Scott. Yeah, it was taking me a minute to see who this next one is from because it got forwarded from the other. Email, so it says it's from me, and I'm, I know it's not from me. <laughs> Thanks so for the email, from? It's from Groom. <laughs> it's from, it's from <laughs> Giaconetti. Luke Giaconetti. This one is entitled, Not Spam, Those Who Know Fear Burn at the Touch of Back to the Bins. I love that. That's <laughs> awesome. Back to the Bins crew. It says, oh, wait, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What? Who, who's got the giant schlong nose like the man thing? Hmm. Yeah, that's got to be weird. Not Especially me. at parties and stuff. Be very uncomfortable. Well, he's pretty upfront about it, what he's packing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, never mind. That's all right. He says, back to the bins crew. Aw, yeah. Gerber and Plug on Man-Thing. I don't think there was ever a better team on any Mar- Marvel horror book than those two on this character. Ooh, I would debate that, but another I- time. I'm I'm a big Gene Colan horror guy. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I love yeah, Luke Wolf too, but yeah. I think Wolfman I got Wolfman and yeah, Wolfman and uh, Colan on Tomb of Dracula. Is that what you were? Where that's you going? that's what I'm thinking of. Also, uh, I don't remember who the hell the writer was, but uh, when uh, Mal Val Merrick was mm-hmm. working on uh, Frankenstein's monster, that was awesome too. I just and can't remember who the writer was on that. At your uh, at your based on your talking about it, I've started reading the Living Mummy stories and supernatural thrillers, and Myrick's artwork on that is awesome. Also, isn't it awesome? Yeah, yeah. It really is. And some of those Fantastic. some beautiful Gil King covers. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I'm gonna have to do one of those issues at some point if you don't beat me to it. 
I think we we should do a special on something because uh, I, I feel very badly. I know I talked about this in a recent episode of Two True Freaks, but Michael Bailey and I were planning if we could find the time to to team up to do some Marvel horror stuff, like a you know just a you know shoot the breeze special in time for Halloween. And of course, we as we record this, it's now well after Halloween, so I feel badly about that. But yeah. I'd, uh, I'd love to, uh, you know, if you want to do like a special and, and you know, or, or a series of specials and focus on some of that stuff, like you know, Tuma Drac and uh, Living Mummy and that sort of, because I love that stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe, I really, you do. know, it's the kind of thing what we could do, like you said, do a special, maybe do a Living Mummy special one time, because that, just reading it now, and and again, I I just picked it up based on you talking about it, but I hadn't read that in the past, and it's a it's a kind of a hidden gem. It, you know, it people, is. people it really don't is, know yeah. about it. People don't know, really know anything about it, I think, uh, as a general rule. But really good stuff. Mm-hmm. I have not read really any of those. So that would that would be something new for me. So you would get somebody's first first, you know, first impressions of it. I would expect that uh, that you would really enjoy it. Knowing you as I think I do and, and your likes and dislikes and comics, I think you would really get a kick out of a lot of that stuff, especially if nothing else, the art is fantastic and uh if i'm not mistaken i think plug did some of the early issues of frankenstein's monster if i'm not mistaken so yeah, well, did he, he do did that also. one that we did cover no that was no that was a myrick that was mayor oh, okay. yeah Myrick. yeah yeah that was, that was uh let's see where did i leave off here uh, gerber's work on man thing was always at least a little bit off kilter often sliding headlong into trip out psychedelia and 70s quote-unquote expanded awareness if you haven't had a chance to read it i highly recommend the posthumously published miniseries the infernal man thing finally bringing a long lost prestige format man thing story uh by gerber to print and it's every bit as nuts as you would imagine see that's the funny thing again this was another one i kind of wish i'd been on not because i have any uh, affinity at all for man thing which i really don't but uh (laughs) You know, Sorry. it's funny with Steve Scott Gerber doesn't have any man was... thing. <laughs> <laughs> he has no affinity uh, for man thing. <laughs> I walked right into that. Scott wants but, uh, this man thing. <laughs> what's really funny is that, you know, I, I don't have any great affinity for Steve Gerber either because everything I've ever read by the guy is exactly what Luke's describing. It's it's really wacky, weird. I think he was much better suited to underground comics than mainstream Marvel at that time. But then he goes and knocks out the Phantom Zone mini, which I regard as one of the best DC stories ever done. So it's so weird. And you read Phantom Zone, there's very little of Steve Gerber in there as far as the Steve Gerber that we've all come to to you know, think we know from the comics he put out this weird and wacky stuff. There's a little bit of weirdness around the edges. You know, there's a character in the nightclub that's, you know, very Gerber. But for the most part, that's pretty much a, a, a mainstream DC Superman story. So very strange, you know, that he could do something like that. And then, of course, you know, he did some later work with Superman, the animated series. You know, he wrote episodes of that, which there's nothing really, you know, especially bizarre about that either. So, yeah, the guy was, he was, de- you know, he definitely had the ability to, to do normal comics when he wanted to. He just didn't do a whole lot of them. But anyway, 
Continuing on with uh, Luke's email here, he says, Plug's art to me mixed the best of the straight Marvel house style of the mid-70s with the slimy, slinky art styles used by the uh, war and black and white books of the period such as Creepy and Eerie. Uh, Plug even did some work for Warren, unsurprisingly. Even middle-of-the-road titles like Werewolf by Night look insane under Plug's pencils. He also did some amazing, albeit short-lived, fantasy work on Call of the Destroyer. Overall, one of the best genre artists of the period in my book. Also, the team of Paul and... On, uh, great work on Ghost Rider early on also. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, I don't... I don't think I've ever read any... Any old Ghost Rider. I could be wrong, but I, I don't... Well, no, I take that back. Wasn't there one... I think there's one issue with a burn cover. I think I have... Unless I'm thinking of the Daredevil. There's a Daredevil one with... I don't know. Anyway, I'll have to go back and look at that at some point. Because that, that's a character I never really cared about. But I do like Plug, so I'd like to see that. Uh, let's see here. The team of Paul and Dr. Bill never fails to crack me up. Which is great. But can be a bit problematic in the office... <laughs> The goom bit nearly killed me. You have to picture me in my cubicle, both hands clamped over my mouth, trying not to burst out in Colin Clive-style um, maniacal laughter, snorts erupting from my <laughs> nose, tears streaming down my face as I try to stop the MP3 player. I love those old Atlas-era monster comics and wish Marvel would do an essential collection of these rather than the pricier hardcovers. But hey, what's the point of making money if you can't have fun spending it that's absolutely true you know who colin clive is um i should the name sounds familiar but no off the top of my head i don't can't I'll give you a hint it's alive oh it's alive oh, all right all right yep now i, I, now I got it <laughs> <laughs> he says the ice monster sounds about as threatening as the ghost of the yeti who menaced the scooby-doo gang and laurel and hardy in that one episode of the new scooby-doo movies Admittedly, that episode does not end with any of the stars being hauled off to be a <clears throat> companion to the ice monster. So there's a little bit of hideousness to keep you warm at night. Dr. Bill, quote unquote, local bypassers would be a great band name. Uh, thanks for keeping me in stitches at work. And that's from Luke Jack and Eddie says, P.S. Guys, The Flash debuted in 1940. Just saying. And, and I were debuting because the Invisible Man looked like the Flash. And, uh, I gotcha. I think we were, yeah, I guess the Jay Garrick Flash would have been predated the, uh, obviously predated the uh, Barry Allen, which is, I think, what we were. I can't believe we totally forgot that Flash. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Whoop. See if we'd had a Tales of the JSA guy on there with us. Yeah, they that out. think to straighten us right out. <laughs> he was probably yelling, you idiots! But we were talking about the Barry Allen Flash. We were not talking about Jay Garrick. So there, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I get the next one. Do, 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 do. Back to the bins. 124. Beta Scott. And this is from Russell Bragg again. Thank you, Russell. Hi, guys. Great show as always. Not that I didn't enjoy the episode, but Dr. Bill was truly missed. Oh. <laughs> I missed. I miss the impressions, too. I, too, love the finale of New Heart. I tried to think of any that would come close and could not think of any. I will always love the final Tonight Show appearance with Johnny Carson. But that's more for sentimental reasons than for a great show. I'd say the worst would be Quantum Leap's 
finale. I don't really agree there, but we'll agree to disagree. I know it wasn't supposed to be the final show, but they sure left fans hanging. I still haven't seen a Muppet Christmas Carol like you guys were talking about. I always love it when an actor or actress working with the Muppets treat the Muppets not as things, but as someone to bounce lines off of. Some episodes of The Muppet Show were hit and miss for that reason. John Denver was always my favorite person who worked with him. Well, probably because he was high. Oh, <laughs> Rocky, Rocky Mountain High. That's, that, <laughs> that was my interjection. That was not in, in the letter. He just seemed so happy to be performing with them. And it seemed so genuine. Again, he was high. Christopher Reeve's appearance was another favorite. When Paul and Beta Scott were talking about the Phantom, were you talking about the Phantom of the Opera? No, it was the uh, the pulp hero. That's, I'm assuming that's what you're no, talking no, about. No, no, we were talking about Phantom of the Opera because we really were, we were talking about shows on Broadway and Scott and his family. Oh, that's when right. They, when they were in New York, went to a show and they went to see Phantom. If they ever do the pulp as a fan, as a Broadway show, I will go see it though. But I thought you guys did mention the Phantom. Not the that movie I can recall. Oh, we were all over the part. map, though. I mean, Scott and I had a great time that night talking, and uh, it was it was amazing that we eventually got to comics. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, the Phantom of the Opera. I, I saw that here in Tampa, and uh, I've got the soundtrack. Uh, it's it's pretty good. And I could go into a, a story, Paul. Oh, really? Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, it is now time for Real Life with Dr. Bill Robinson. So back in the mid-90s, I had purchased the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack. My wife and I, uh, we had had our first child, and we were living in a small two-bedroom apartment uh, in the upstairs. And I had my nice stereo set that I had purchased when I was in the Navy and had my headphones on. And I was uh, cranking out and jamming to the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack. Well, as I'm sitting there, I keep turning the volume up and turning the volume up. And, and of course, I'm sitting just you know, waving my arms, singing, and all, and all of a sudden, I realized that as I'm, when I paused for a second, that my shirt was moving. I'm like, why is my shirt moving? So I take my headphones off. I had missed, I had hit the wrong buttons, and so I was also playing out my speakers <laughs> and my headphones at the same time. So my neighbors also got to hear Phantom of the Opera along with the people in the other buildings around us. And when my wife comes out and says, what the hell are you doing? Ooh, what? No. That's it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was Real Life with Dr. Bill Robbins. That was anyway. a beautiful story. <laughs> <laughs> that part the with the music, that really, that really got the, to me. <laughs> and the chandelier, yeah. No, but I thought, yeah, I thought this was referencing the Phantom movie with uh, with one of my favorite actors in it. And, of course, usually people say Billy Zane is your favorite actor. No, it's Patrick McGowan because he plays the older uh, Phantom. And they're like the ghost of the Phantom that talks to the current incarnation of the Phantom. You guys remember that, Phantom. right? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't know what uh, you're talking about. Scott, you know that movie? You know, I got about three quarters of the way through that movie and never finished it. I need to go back and finish it because I was digging it. And I think it was like I was watching it before work one day or something. Is the only reason I didn't finish it. Like I ran out of time. I just never went back and finished it. But I was digging it. Mm, okay. Really good soundtrack. Anyway, on to the comics. 
I knew very little about Manwolf. I did remember who he really was and that he was a Spider-Man character. Beyond that, nada. Can I stop you for just a second? Sure. I, I need to correct myself on something I said earlier. Paul, I did listen to this episode. So whichever one it was I was listening to on the way home and I had to stop it, mm-hmm. not this episode. I did listen to this one all the way through because I really liked that you had picked um, Creatures on the Loose. However, I was also really pissed that you picked Creatures on the Loose while I wasn't there because <laughs> I love that title. But I was really surprised that I completely forgot that there was a different artist early on because the artist that you had on that was what Ross Andrew, I think George Tuska, George Tuska. That's right. George Tuska. And <clears throat> you never once mentioned the superstar or, you know, eventually was to be a superstar that came onto the book afterwards, which is what I always remember the book for George Perez, George Perez. Yeah. And that was one of his earliest projects was uh, was Manwolf. I had completely forgotten that there even were any issues of that with the Manwolf in Creatures on Loose that were not Perez. Yeah. I, I these these were like these that. scream out to you. I am not George Perez. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, Tuska pretty pretty far removed from Manwolf. I have a huge affinity for Manwolf. I always thought that he was a really really great. Uh, Spider-Man villain and one of the reasons I always thought he was really cool was because well for one he had a little bit of that six million dollar man thing going you know he had been an astronaut he'd actually been to the moon and all that sort of thing Uh, but also just the fact that he was the son of Spider-Man's greatest enemy J. Jonah Jameson lent that extra cool factor and he was the reluctant werewolf you know he was the guy that didn't want this to be happening to him, but was powerless to stop any of it. And I really liked it that you and Scott pointed out, there's no mistaking man wolf murders people. You know, they, they might not have been overt about it, but at the same rate, they didn't shy away from that either. He kills people in those comics and, and kills them rather, rather brutally, which was pretty ballsy for, you know, a comic of that era, especially something that was more or less mainstream, seeing as how that was tied into Spider-Man. So he wasn't, you know, off in the horror fringes like Dracula or Frankenstein. He was, you know, front and center in the the so-called superhero universe, yet still murdering people. And this was before, like, the Punisher and stuff like that. So that was, that was really cool. It lent a, a, a nice edge to something you know, that, that was otherwise still kind of considered kitty fair at that time. Yeah, I would agree. At with least that. I think so. I totally yeah. agree with you. Bill? Yep. And to finish it. Wake up, Bill. We're <laughs> <laughs> done talking. <laughs> All right. He was a Spider Man character beyond that, not. And Batman, after a crisis on Infinite Earths, on Infinite Earths, I know very little about until you get to Nightfall. What? That's the problem with kids today. <laughs> I know about Jason. I'm pretty sure God Russell's about the same that. age as you, Scott. I'm kidding. It was a joke. Just Jesus saying. Christ. Just saying. <laughs> wow, he must be old. That's how we get things like Dark Knight, you know? These kids today got no perspective. No, never mind. Shut up. See, Scott, you do voices. You say, I don't do any voices. <laughs> he does, yeah, I do shitty voices. He, he, does, he does happy Scott. He does angry Scott. He does old man Scott. 
He does zombie Scott. He does Here, let me turn on my cam for a second so you can see this finger, okay? <laughs> was, I, I can't That's see. Was, was it a thumb? <laughs> did, you, did you pull it out of somewhere? I'm sorry. That was his man thing on his face. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, anyway, I know about Jason Todd being killed by the fans, but didn't know how the story played out past his death. Well, he he died, so what else is there to know? Well, but then he came back. He got better. <clears throat> I'm feeling much better. Did you either of you guys call in for that? No. No. Really? Oh, okay. I was trained very no, I was... young age. You didn't call in for stuff that they were charging you extra money to call in for. <laughs> Unless your buddy from school accidentally gives you a sex line number and you call it oh, a couple times and you then you discover <laughs> the thing called a phone bill when it comes in. <laughs> Just yeah, that was a lesson to be learned. Did you leave dad or an older brother to take the fall for it? Oh, no, no. It was all on me. Oh, dude. Yeah, it was one of those winning. <laughs> but no, no, that's was it one I... of the really nasty ones, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like three or four minutes. And you know. I mean, one with like a really disgusting name. So your mom was like horrified. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't remember what was on it. I, I think they probably saw the charges come in and and uh, then called it and found out. And, you know. <laughs> but that's what my buddy told me because it didn't happen to me. You know, I'm thinking of all sorts of names, but then I would have to like bleep them out if I said them out loud. Right, exactly. I was doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Just one eight hundred beep beep. <laughs> that was the one. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, it was a lesson learned. <sighs> anyway, so continuing again. So I learned some things from this episode. <laughs> as did I. As did I. Don't know if I'll remember anything. <laughs> I, I say I, that every episode. <laughs> But I thank you just the same. Russell Bragg, Clarksburg, West Virginia. I always hope that everyone walks away feeling they learned something from our episodes. Just saying. Yeah. Yes, kids. I've don't way don't too file much sex lines. My hands. That's what they learn every episode. <laughs> and so, what are you going to do? Okay, our next letter is from Jason Trenner. Death, anarchy, and not spam. Back to the bins. Well, that and a lot of Beta Scott and Paul talking. 124. Hey, guys. As the header says, Paul and Beta Scott did a lot of random talking. I had no problem with it, though. It left me wondering if they were actually going to review any comics. On to said comics. Ah, Manwolf. A character that you got to wonder why he didn't go to the Avengers or Fantastic Four to be held in a secure room in their bases. Of course, not much story if John actually uses his head for something other than it were from other from to headbutt things. I take I take it the police not believing Manwolf to be John due to the fact that old flat top would put his own son at stake if he was. I mean, he does that to Spider Man all the time and the, the NYPD might have varying thoughts on him, but I'm sure they'd expect Jonah to report a werewolf. Which in the Marvel universe with alien invasions, meta humans and out the wazoo wazoo can't, and such can't be that shocking. Of course, thinking about Marvel's current mayor of New York City, you got to wonder if people finding out he was the one who had Scorpion empowered and later became Venom for a time and killed people like crazy would utterly tank his political career. And very possible the detective did have an early GPS given advanced Marvel tech. I mean, in the 60s, Black Panther's nation had cell phones and portable mini towers for receptions. Reception. That's one way... 
to have more than one bar and got to agree with you on modern comics needing to work on putting more story into their single issues. Infinity Hunt is four issues long and three issues in. It hasn't amounted to anything more than introductions to some other metahuman schools in the Marvel Universe. At $3.99 a pop, it has to do more has to do a lot more than that, a great deal more. Oh, and DC versus Marvel Masters of the Universe also has as much meat to it as chicken wings. That rather annoys me, as it seems all the plot will will have could have been put in an annual sized issue and done in one go instead of dragged out to four issues. Next mm-hmm. up is Batman four fifty one. Won't make up a green wig won't make up and a green wig work better to be the Joker than a rubber mask. Still better than the next Joker we saw much later that Dick fought as Batman that had Joker gangs and Batman gangs roaming the streets trying to kill each other. The mess this one is making isn't quite as huge as that one, nor makes me wonder why Dick Grayson didn't call in Red Robin, Robin the female question, Ragman, and possibly other members of the Justice League as the time he was the leader of the kind of weird version that was Dick Grayson, Batman, Supergirl, Jesse Quick, Liberty Bell, Donna Troy, Jade, Congorilla, and the 70s alien Starman. Yeah, that's what happens when DC won't let writers of a book get A-list Big Seven of the Justice League. Still not sure why, why Wally West wasn't available to the team, nor why they didn't get some of the overflowing to the extreme Justice Society members. Still, it was better than Dan DiDio's Outsiders. The only book Dan DiDio was involved in that I didn't think was utter trash was OMAC series with Keith Giffen as the co-writer. This issue's story, the end of the story, yeah, not much to really not much to it. As for Alan Moore, all I have to say is all I all I have to say is the stories of his I have read some more than others, but at least they're very good. Though I'm not into the cult of personality or insanity around the man. I won't have bothered him when he was in a public restroom. <laughs> anyway, it's almost as much fun to see who will be hosting as to see what issues come up on the show, which makes me want to listen even more. Thank you, Jason. I would say, just to, to call back to it, I agree with your comment that I did like Dan DiDio's, uh take on OMAC along with Keith Giffen. I, I don't think everything he's written is utter trash otherwise, but that was one that I did particularly like, and I agree with you on that. Is that the one right around Infinite Crisis? No, that's the one, that's with the New 52, and they basically tried to emulate Jack Kirby in it. So it it was similar to the 70s version of OMAC, which I kind of like, which is, you know, kind of batshit crazy stuff, just like like a lot of Kirby stuff from back then. <clears throat> he raised an interesting point here that uh, I don't know that we've ever really talked about. I know that we've talked ad infinitum about you know how pissed we are with modern comics being four bucks a pop, and you know you can read it on literally on the walk from you know the the night table to the shitter and be done with it before you even sit down. But have we ever talked about how it used to be completely opposite? I don't. I know I've read a good number of comics recently you know, old comics from the 70s and 80s where I'm like, damn, that was a one and done that really would have made a great miniseries or sometimes even like a maxi series or like a storyline. 
And it's just that was the nature of comics back then. You would get a comic that was just jam packed to overflowing with, you know, a great story, a great villain, you know, a, a bunch of subplots and all this action and things going on and walk away feeling like, wow, I read a book. And it's just so bizarre that the industry is completely flip flop now to where. I don't know anybody that really seems happy with the way that uh, that you know comic books are coming out, and that's why so many people have switched to doing the trades because at least there you know you're paying a higher price, but you're getting a complete story. Yeah, but you're not always paying a higher price. I mean, for a while there, you were actually coming out ahead. I think maybe now you're breaking even, but I know for a while the trade would be cheaper than buying the books individually. Really. Yeah. Yeah. On. Mm-hmm. Huh. I mean, it may be only by a few dollars, and then if you get it, can get it on a discount, you make out a little better. But but yeah, o- overall, I believe the trades were a better deal. Wow. But just just to yep. get back to to Jason's point, I know on the giant size man thing, the main story we were talking about it, and there was the whole subplot with the glob when he was in human form and how he got involved in the uh collective that they had and he was working with them and then you know his transformation back into the glob and i thought you know they did that in a very abbreviated form and i thought that could have easily been you know something that was done over the course of several issues and and developed mm-hmm. but uh you know wasn't to be back then that's all yeah yeah we we were just talking about kind of along these lines last night when we did a walking dead wednesday episode um and we were covering issue 53 of the comic and the past and like the one or two books before that had been pretty quick reads. And this one was just like an old style comic in in a span of three pages. There was 24 panels, mostly dialogue of a discussion between Dale and Rick. And it was like, yeah, you don't really get this nowadays. You know, compared to the older books where you would have the nine panel layout per page and then a third or a half of the pages filled up with dialogue balloons. You know, so it was kind of like a throwback. That's something you just don't see that, that, that often anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Ready for the next one? I'm already. I like this one. This is from, uh, again, our buddy Luke Giaconetti. Subject is of Batman and man wolves. This is pillar or excuse me here. Pl- pillars pliers rather of the time stream pliers of the time stream. Owing back to a uh, intro that we haven't used on this show in a long time. <clears throat> he says, have to say I dug the combination of Paul and Beta Scott. It's the New York-Georgia connection. Like a bad, bad tag team from the <laughs> 80s. Uh, yeah, thank you for uh, that, Luke. He kills me with this next bit, though. He says, man, oh, man. Wolf. I just I just pictured Paul in a like a like a onesie speedo. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. That's an image you do not want in your head. No, I don't. Thanks so much. You just poked me right in my third eye. Uh, third eye blind. He says, uh, Man Wolf is not nearly as cool as Jack Russell, the werewolf by night. Just the fact that his name isn't Jack Russell, I think, makes him cooler than the werewolf by night. Werewolf by Night's cool, but Jack Russell, really, nobody anywhere stopped to think, wow, that's a really stupid name for a guy that turns into a big, 
you know, dog-like thing. I think I think that's and, the whole point. He turns from a meek little dog to a big vicious dog. <sighs> when he's in his human form, he's much more small and meek and unthreatening. There you go. And jumps around on couches, <laughs> like like on Fraser. <laughs> He says, what does that say about Man-Wolf? He says, I mean, honestly, I like the werewolf, but he's not exactly burning up the sales charts. Well, I don't know, though. I mean, back during his time, how, I wonder how those issues did, you know, the ones that he was in. I don't know. I, I still have a fondness for him. I really like the guy. I thought he was cool. Anyway, as far as Man-Wolf killing the muggers, this sort of thing was not uncommon among the horror books and features of this period, including Werewolf by Night, Tomb of Dracula, Morbius, Monster Frankenstein, etc. I think I made this very point just a little while ago. <laughs> yes, you did. He says, relax standards from the code and all that. Simon Stroud, not sure why he is working with the NYPD here, because he's established as CIA from his time tracking down Morbius over in fear. They did touch on this, uh, excuse me, they do touch on his souped-up sports car ride in that strip, if I'm remembering correctly. Stroud would disappear for about 20 years before popping up again in the 90s Morbius series, where he was shown to have uh, been eventually drummed out of the company and acting on his own. I think I may be the only George Tuska fan I am aware of. Yeah, yes, I you didn't are. Think there were any of them. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. I'm sorry, that was horrible. I shouldn't have said that. They do have, uh, <clears throat> Tomorrow's actually has a book out, The Art of George Tuska. And I look and I think, who would want this? <laughs> Just, oh. Sorry. Well, you know, we, you know what's really funny? It's it's so weird. Luke and I are totally like on a wavelength because I was just going to say it's probably because Luke is such a big Iron Man fan. And what is the very next line? But this is probably due to my love of Iron Man. Is the very next line? So, so this is oh, that's huh? that's yeah. That I was like, I know I've seen George Tuska somewhere else, and it's an Iron Man. That's Iron right. Man. Yeah, Iron yeah. Man. Uh, he did a Luke Cage hero for hire. He did. Mm. Uh, he did an occasional fill-in on the Avengers. Uh, that's I all I can think of off the top some, of my head. I mean, I have seen some Tuska that I didn't mind too much. I, I won't say I liked because that would be a stretch, but that I didn't mind too much. I can't remember where it was. It was probably either the Avengers or or Iron Man, I think. But um, I think the problem for me with Tuska, and somebody correct me if I'm dead wrong here, but I think wasn't he frequently paired up with um, Vinnie Collada? Mm-hmm. I believe that just about everybody was. And, and Well, there you go. I mean, you've got two guys that have almost precisely the exact style, and you put them together, and it's just it just doesn't work. So if Tuska had been paired up with somebody that could flesh out his pencils a little bit and add some depth to them, then, you know, then I think you got something because I think he was he I think he would be a great like layout man. You know what I mean? Like like do the roughs and then let somebody else like really put the detail in. Certainly somebody but else do the faces because his faces were terrible. Yeah. But unfortunately, he just, you know, I, I just a lot of times he was the guy and. I don't know, but then again, I, you know, everybody has their likes, and I, I don't want to be too hard on the guy. Plus, I don't think he's with us anymore, so I always feel funny about that sort of thing. But anyway, oh, yeah. uh, you, you can't. You got to separate the art from the guy. He may have been the nicest guy right. in the world. I have no idea. Right. Although I do remember an interview, hearing an interview with Steve Englehart, where he was talking about the early issues of uh, Luke Cage, and uh, 
I, I'm pretty sure he was talking about Tusker, saying, you know, he'd tell him, you know, he was young and new in the industry at the time, Engelhart, and he would tell him, you know, I want to do this in the book. And basically, Tusker was, you know, the veteran, and he would just turn around and just do whatever he felt like doing and ignore everything that Engelhart I, told him. You're right. Yeah, I have read that somewhere. That might have been in Back Issue magazine or something. I've read that exact same thing. Yeah. Which does take away from the thought that maybe he was the nicest guy in the world. That's true. Uh, where was I here? Luke continues. He says his work on Shellhead's book uh, always looked sharp to me. Go figure. Maybe he had a better so, oh, on those. That could be. I was trying to think of who he was uh, paired up with on Iron Man, and I, I honestly don't know. That's that's a uh, an era of Iron Man I'm not overly familiar with. Says, oh, you fellas may mock Curtis and Bobby now, uh, but wait until Scott Snyder brings them back as a deadly duo who will push Batman and every one of his allies to the limit in next year's 75th anniversary event. Yeah, that's it. Uh, what, what the hell is he talking about? Curtis Bobby was uh, in the Batman book. That was the like the villain. Uh, uh, it, I, I think it was it was two separate villains. It was Curtis and it was Bobby. I, I think of Curtis Bobby as. Uh, I know it's not his name, but I'm thinking in uh, what was the movie where uh, Will Ferrell played the race car driver? Uh, oh, Rich Bobby. Bobby, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, well, I, that's oh, what I'm made, made me think myself that I even knew that. I'm, I'm very, ha- <laughs> I'm very happy that I didn't. Shake and bake. He says, "Thanks, guys." Luke. He says, uh, "P.S. Not sure if Marv Wolfman ever wrote Man Wolf, uh, but he did write The Werewolf by Night because, well, I mean, it's all right there in the name, isn't it?" <laughs> See, I need, huh? I I think that comment is based on the fact that we did the Man Wolf issue, and then I'm pretty, if I'm remembering right, the issue that uh, Scott brought of Batman was written by Marv Wolfman. Ah. I think that's what inspired that quote because I don't think we said anything about Marv Wolfman ever writing Man Wolf. I uh, had an opportunity once to buy what was probably a complete or very near complete run of werewolf by night. And like a dumbass, I didn't. And I've always regretted it because those in my experience anyway, are very hard to find even regardless of price. They're just flat, hard to find. And I'd like to read them because what little exposure I've had to werewolf by night, he does seem like a pretty cool character, but I you know I still side with Manwolf as being inherently cooler than Werewolf by Night. But did they ever meet? Did they ever fight? Werewolf by Night and Manwolf. There was probably a yeah. meeting at some point, but I, if there was, it was later. It would have been in the eighties or nineties. It wouldn't have been yeah. early on. Because I think Werewolf by Night fought Dracula on the moon. I want to say, and I don't know how the hell that happened, but there was definitely I, I seem to a, have a memory of that. There was definitely a crossover between Werewolf by Night and Tomb of Dracula, one issue oh, yeah. of each series where they, they went back and forth in it. Uh, yeah. I don't remember the moon, but that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. I'm almost positive. They fought on the moon and, uh, Seeing how to the moon. <laughs> well, you know, again, seeing as how Manwolf and his human identity was an astro, you know, an actual moonwalker, that seems like there's a cool story in the making right there. But anyway, now I've got to look this up. All right. Well, that's <laughs> that's it for our Bin's email. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.